Hi, my name is Mark. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Diana. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 1, verses 6 through 9, English Standard Version. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Steve, and thank you for standing for the gospel reading, which is found in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as we listen to your word, that the entrance of your word would bring light and life, that you would change us, that you would wake us up, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know how many parents of you out there have uh, started working on your kids to do some chores around the home. But we've discovered that with our two older kids, it is especially fruitful to get them to help and clean up, and we are rejoicing in the land because they can finally clean up their own messes anyway. But what we didn't anticipate was that our youngest, Jane, who is four, uh, wants to get in on the party. Really, Jane wants to get in on any party. You know, everything's a party, number one. Number two, she wants to be in on it. 
And so the other day she said, I'm going to do the dishes. And we're like, mm, I don't know if we want you to do the dishes. And she's like, watch, I can do the dishes. And so she pulls, pushes a stool up to the sink and she turns on the tap and just starts spraying soap over everything in the sink. Thankfully, most of the water stayed in the sink, but there she was. I mean, I don't know what she was doing, but for 30 minutes, water was running. Oh Lord, forgive us. And she's scrubbing away, and suds are everywhere, and we're like, ha, 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 thank you, Jade, for helping. And I sometimes wonder if this is what we think it's like when we offer to serve the Lord. If we say, Lord, I can help. I want to do something about what's wrong with the world. And God, we, we think God's response is, uh, maybe not you. Yes, I need some help, but maybe not you. This morning in this fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to be talking about the servant of the Lord. Our text is Isaiah 42. You've heard it being read. We've read a different Isaiah text all through these weeks of Advent. Advent is a season of preparation for Christmas Uh, The good news is the 12 days of Christmas start on December 25th and go all the way through January 5th, so you can keep feasting and partying. But Advent itself is where we can, can be in touch with our own ache, with our own longing, with our own sense of what is not right in the world, with our own sense of what is not right in our own hearts. And so we begin to prepare for Jesus' arrival, not just 2,000 years ago, the arrival that we're looking back to in Bethlehem, But the arrival that we're looking ahead to, the final future arrival of Jesus' second coming, the Scripture sometimes calls it. The time and the day, the moment when all will be set right again. So Advent lets us sit between these two arrivals saying, because the Lord has come, the Lord will come. And even so, the Lord is coming through His people. So as we've looked at these texts, we've tried to get a sense of what it means not only for our vision of Jesus, but what it means for our our own sense of our own life. So Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So the first question right away when we read this text is, who is the servant of the Lord? Who's Isaiah talking about? And there's several theories about this, but, the, but I, I want to kind of present to you the metaphor of how our vision sometimes works with the horizon. You know, when you're driving by Garden of the Gods, if you're far enough away from it, you can see the beautiful rock formations coming up from the ground. And you can see the mountain range in the background, right? Depending on your angle of where you are in town, you can see it all. You can see Garden of the Gods and the mountains. But if you're so close, if you happen to work at the Navigators, or you're staying at beautiful Glen Erie, all you're probably going to see are the Garden of the Gods itself, the rock formations. You, you, You might even forget that there's a mountain range behind it. Because this is all that's in the horizon of your view. Many times when reading the prophets from a Christian perspective, many times we we have two horizons of vision going on. 
There's an immediate horizon of who this relates to. And then there's something in the higher, more distant horizon that they are referring to. And in the immediate horizon in Isaiah's day, it seems most likely that the servant of the Lord is Israel. Israel was called to be the servant of the Lord in the world. How do we know this? Flip one chapter back, one page back, if you will. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, well, there you go. And it's just this, it's, it's all kind of read together, 41 and 42. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servants. I have chosen you and not cast you off. You remember earlier this fall, we did this whole series through the book of Genesis on the life of Abraham. We talked about how God called Abraham and and gave him this mission to begin to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's what Isaiah is referring to. He's saying, look, this nation of Israel, this seed of Abraham, these descendants of Abraham, the calling and mission of your life, of your nation is to be a carrier of blessing to the world. You're the servant. Now listen, now jump back to, verse, to chapter 42, look at verse 6, the second half of verse 6. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The servant of the Lord was always chosen for the sake of the world. And so in Isaiah's day, this is referring to Israel as the people of God chosen to be the vehicle of blessing to all of the world. What will the servant of the Lord do? What is it that Isaiah, in this particular text this morning, has a picture of the servant of the Lord doing? There's this word, justice, that even in our English translations shows up three times. In Hebrew, it's the word mishpat. Listen to this. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he, he has established justice in the earth. What will the servant of the Lord do? Very simply, the servant of the Lord will bring about justice. Now, when you think about this, it is a it is a concept that actually is a cluster of many concepts. And it's, it's, there's a reason why this very word is related to words like judgment, verdict, decisions. It all sort of clusters together. Justice, judgment. I think for us in our day, we, are, we have a very, it's very easy to get excited about justice, but very difficult to get excited about judgment. We say, I want justice, I want to work for justice. And we don't realize that when you ask for justice, you're also asking for judgment. You're asking for something to be set right. The idea of, of, of justice is related to a reordering, a returning things back to its proper place. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes this. He says, justice is the reordering of social life and social power so that the weak, especially orphans and widows, may live a life of dignity, security, and well-being. Now put that, leave that up there for a minute and think about this. Justice in the prophetic tradition, in the tradition of the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, is much more than saying, well, let's just do a couple of good deeds. No, they are after a fundamental reordering of society itself. 
I have become friends with the rabbi in town. He's actually here with us this morning. I don't want to embarrass him, but it won't be hard to spot somewhere over there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Rabbi Joe and I were having lunch this week. We met at a thing at UCCS a month or so ago. And, um, and we were talking about this over lunch this week, about the mishpat, about justice, about what the sense of it is. And he says you have to read the next few verses where it actually connects the creator God with justice. And he says the next few verses talk about the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth. And he said that in Jewish synagogues, these next few verses are actually paired with readings from Genesis 1. In other words, you cannot talk about justice without talking about the God who laid the foundations of the earth. Why? Because the very foundations of the world are justice. And what, uh, one way of understanding human rebellion is a, 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 a perversion of, a disordering of God's wise ordering of the world. And so when God invites us to do justice, what he's saying is, would you join me in returning the world to its foundations? Would you join me in returning the world to its foundations? I love that. The very law of the Lord is perfect. It establishes, it's established in the heavens. And so when we When we do justice, we are returning the world to the very foundation God created. We are, in a sense, partnering with God to let His wise order return to the world. It is a reordering of the world because the world is disordered. Injustice is a disordering of the world. When the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, that's a disordering of the world. And what we work for is to bring right and proper judgments that will reorder the world. It's kind of like a doctor resetting the bone. You don't don't dislocate a joint and the doctor says, well, I just love you. Wow, I've come to love that dislocated finger. I affirm that dislocation. I just want to embrace all dislocations. We accept all dislocations. He said, what kind of a doctor are you? This is why it is nonsense to speak of love and mercy without speaking of justice and judgment. It's nonsense to speak about. You, the most loving thing we can do is to rightly reorder the world as God ordered it from the foundations of the earth. That's what the servant of the Lord will do. But there's a problem. Verse 18 in chapter 42. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. This is kind of a problem. If the servant of the Lord, we read in Isaiah 42, if we heard that he's supposed to be the one that opens up the eyes of the blind, but then God says, actually, Israel, you are blind. Your ears are blocked. There's a problem. You, yourself, are stuck. Years ago, when Holly and I got engaged, I was living out here in Colorado, and she was finishing up her senior year of college in Tulsa, and she was coming with a friend who was on their way to Denver, and so they said, hey, we'll drop Holly off in Lyman, and and Glenn, you know, you you can come pick her up from Lyman. I thought, absolutely, I'll go do that. And um, what I didn't anticipate was that it was going to be a cold winter, snowy day, very much like today. If you know me, you know that there are few things 
that strike fear into my heart more than driving in weather like today, although I drove here today. Yes. <laughs> Glory to God. I've <clears throat> still got more driving to do today, but we'll see. So on this particular day in the spring of 2001, I got in my Jeep Cherokee and was out on this state highway road on the way to Lyman, and I literally, I mean, I was going really slow. You, you, you got to know me to know. I was going slow. I mean, I go slow in like a go-kart race, you know? I mean, I go slow. And here I am on this snowy road, and I'm watching a truck, two, two, two cars ahead of me, just slowly slide and, whoop, and go into the ditch. And then I watch another truck that's pulling a horse trailer go boom, into the same ditch. And I'm thinking, well, I certainly know what's coming now. <laughs> I, it's not going to be me. And sure enough, boom, straight into the ditch. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm having to figure out a way to not only get myself rescued, but get someone to drive the Lyman to pick up Holly. I'm supposed to be the one on a mission, and I'm stuck. That's like us. That's like Israel in this text. Supposed to be the one on the mission of rescue, full of the mission of God, to open up the blind eyes, except that you're blind yourself. What do we do about this? This is why for Christians we say this is the cliffhanger that opens the door for Jesus to arrive. This is why for Christians we say, wait a minute, this is the near horizon was Garden of the Gods, but the higher, further up horizon is Pikes Peak. The rock formations are great, but look up just a little. Oh, there it is. Could it be that Isaiah saw the true servant of the Lord who was to come? Jesus is the true servant of the Lord. There's a reason why the gospel writers say certain things, have Jesus doing certain things as a way of fulfilling these prophetic words, as a way of saying this was his own self-understanding of his life and mission. And so in Matthew's gospel, it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Echoing the words of Isaiah 42, this is my servant whom I uphold, in whom I delight, and whom I have put my spirit in. Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 4 has Jesus going to the temple and unrolling the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, probably unrolling right past Isaiah 41 and 42, fully aware and coming right to Isaiah 61 and saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The gospel writers are trying to say to us, Jesus is the long-awaited true servant of the Lord. And then... When we think about this and we think about how all of a sudden the gospel writers are trying to help us see this is the one whom the Lord delights in. This is the one in whom the Spirit of the Lord dwells. What does that mean then? It means that Jesus has come to rescue and to reorder the world. It means Jesus has come to begin to put this all back together again, to become, to come to take these broken and disparate pieces and start to stitch it back together again, to rescue and reorder the world. But it doesn't stop there, friends, because this is what we believe as Christians. 
that because Jesus is, we are. Because Jesus is, we are. Right? That's, that's pretty much true of a lot in Christian theology. Because Jesus is righteous, we are righteous. Because Jesus is the servant of the Lord, guess what that makes you and me? The servants of the Lord. Here's how the New Testament writers, here's how the early Christians began to show it. God is rescuing and reordering the world, and He's inviting us to be part of it. God is rescuing and reordering the world, and He's inviting us to be part of it. Here's how the New Testament writers began to show it. They, began, they, they open up, Luke opens up his volume 2 with the story of Jesus about to ascend. And he says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Because otherwise we're listening to this and we're saying, Okay, Jesus, I'm so glad that you are the servant of the Lord. I'm so glad that you came to rescue and reorder the world. But little old me, what can I do about all of this? And if you feel that way, surely Peter, James, and John, and all the disciples were listening to Jesus saying, I'm about to ascend to the throne now. And they're thinking, but the world, it's not really finished here. You remember Isaiah, the rest of the prophecy says that he will be faithful until justice is established. Jesus doesn't look like it's established right here. And he's like, I know, that's your job. And they're like, excuse me? How? And he says, the same Holy Spirit that Isaiah spoke of is going to come on you. It's going to come on you. It's going to anoint you for this work. In fact, you know this because you've heard this over and over again. The Hebrew word Messiah is the Greek word Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. We've been over this, right? Parents were not Joseph and Mary Christ, welcoming little Jesus. We know this. They're calling him Jesus Christ as a title, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, which is why later on in the book of Acts, in Antioch, they will see these disciples full of the Holy Spirit, and they'll say, these are Christians, not like a cool label, but basically a job description. These are little anointed ones. In the same way that Jesus of Nazareth carried the anointing of God to bring good news to the poor, these people, these followers of Jesus, could it be that they too carry this anointing? Could it be that they are little anointed ones? The rest of the New Testament is a way of saying yes. Yes. I was thinking this week about all the different examples of what that looks like for us here at New Life Church. Last week on Tuesday night, there was a, a, a massive party thrown up at the North Campus for single moms, and people brought and wrapped gifts for kids that these single moms could not afford to give their own kids, and they, they could pick out any of the gifts they wanted and load up their car with it so that their homes would be full of presents for their kids this Christmas. I think that's a little bit of what it looks like to reorder the world. That's what it, whenever you see something, you say, that's not right. And then the Holy Spirit comes on you and you say, I think I can reorder that. I think I can do something about that. That's a little glimpse of what it looks like. I think it looks like 
IHN, Family Promise. How, I, I'm so amazed at you guys. Last Sunday, just last Sunday, we told you that we needed three meals a day for the week of today until Christmas to be covered for these families that are in transition without housing and they're staying up at the World Prayer Center this week and they need meals. And we said so we need a lot of people to bring meals this week. Guess what? By the end of second service last week, you filled every single spot. Give yourself a hand. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's you saying something is wrong here. And I think by the grace of God, I can bring God's reordering work into my own backyard. That's you doing that. Maybe one of my favorite stories is earlier this year when we were doing the Sunday school, Evan was leading the Sunday school on on refugees and the refugee crisis. And of course, this year that subject was very politicized and Lots of stuff was floating around it, some true, some not, a lot not. And so we thought, well, let's do a series in our Sunday school about the situation, and let's have people come in and talk about immigration, talk about refugees, talk about that. And, and at the end of week one, our dear brother Bill stood up to ask a question, and, and he said, there's a big elephant in the room that all of us are thinking, and he's right, lots of people were thinking this. And he said, what about ISIS? Now, to add to the drama of the moment, Bill was late to serve for children's ministry in the second service. And so Bill says, what about ISIS? And then walks out. <laughs> so everyone else in the room was like, yeah, that guy's dicked. You know, he's mad. He wasn't mad. He was asking a question that all of us would thought. And what was amazing was to see the, res- the, the, the responses of the people who are leading the discussions to explain the process. I mean, we just had a family that got resettled here in Colorado Springs, um, Rwandan refugees that had been living elsewhere in Africa for 20 years in a refugee camp, right? Stuff takes a long time. And as more and more information began to, uh, to, to develop, Bill says, you know, I've prayed my whole life. I spent my whole life serving and praying in the 1040 window. And now God's bringing people to us, to, to our backyard. So in one sense, we, we clarified the mission of the church. Like, let governments do what governments do, but let the church be the church. And so Bill became our lead volunteer, his whole family, Maggie, now his daughter's taken the lead of it, leading, coordinating, every time there's a new apartment that needs to be furnished, Maggie and Bill and the family, they put a little note up on Facebook, and you guys come to the challenge, rise to the challenge, and say, we'll we'll do it, and you open up a storage bin that Lutheran Family Services has, and you find furniture from there, and you furnish this apartment and make it ready so that we can say to people who are coming here, Welcome in Jesus' name. Yeah, it's not right. The war, the religious persecution, whatever it was that displaced you, it was not right. And we can't fully reorder the world. Only Jesus can. But we can do a little bit. We can do a little bit of it. We can reorder the world by arranging furniture in an apartment. And then there was a story this week that maybe you saw the YouTube video of it with Joe Kirkendall interviewing Brian Kwan. Brian has helped with these these apartment setups, and then realize there's a lot of kids in these refugee families. I mean, well, maybe we should just find something to do. So he'd just show up and start hanging out with them, and then discovered that Lutheran Family Services was given a plot, a garden plot that they didn't really have anything to do with. And Brian's like, I'm the kind of the worst gardener in the world, but I'll take this on. I think that's what you said, Brian. I'm not sure. And so I'll take this on. And so he starts just showing up. And whatever kids were around from the apartments, he'd take them with him, and they'd start gardening together. And now they got vegetables from their own garden, because somebody 
Brian just showed up to reorder the world by planting vegetables with refugee children. That's what it looks like. What does justice look like here and now? It looks like all of that. This morning as we get ready to come to the table, there's two invitations today. And the first is to simply be a recipient of this. To simply be a recipient. To say, God, I, want, I need to receive your rescuing and reordering work in my life. My life is chaos. I need you to rescue and reorder. But the second invitation is to be a participant in this. Is to say, now God, would you use me in some small way to participate in your rescuing and reordering work? And here's what I love about Jesus. (laughs) You need not finish the first before you can begin the second. You don't have to wait until your whole life is fully rescued and reordered. Now I'm ready for service. (laughs) The cast of characters in our scriptures is full of people whose lives are a work in progress, and that's being generous. (laughs) And God says, as I am rescuing and reordering you, let me use you to rescue and reorder the lives and worlds of someone else. Amen? The bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You can come to Jesus today. You can come to Jesus today and let him rescue and reorder you. You can come to Jesus today and let him invite you into his work in the world. Let's bow our heads as the worship team comes.